Thank you. Beautiful music this morning. Traditions are an interesting thing. Uh, my family has some traditions. When I was uh, growing up, Sunday meant two things uh, for my family. It meant uh, church and Cowboys football. Say amen, somebody. <laughs> we would go to uh, church at Martin UMC in Bedford, Texas in the morning, and then we would pack up the car and go to my grandparents in Fort Worth uh, to go triplets and Emmett and Michael take on and defeat whoever the unlucky team was that week that had to face the mighty Cowboys back in those days. I don't want to talk about it. It's been a minute. <laughs> but when I smell Dr. Pepper or I eat Rotel to this day, I think about those afternoons on the couch or in the pool at my grandparents' house. That tradition was so meaningful for me. Um, my church had a tradition too growing up. We had this thing called the Lord's Acre uh, it was our version of the pumpkin patch. We weren't as cool as Arapaho is. We don't have this awesome pumpkin patch that everybody wants to come to all the time. We had a one-day fall festival with a, a live auction and a silent auction. The big thing that we gave away in the live auction, the, the, the big item was this salt lake uh, that was mounted and had this little plaque called uh, Lot's Wife, uh, which I thought, that's a funny joke if you know the Old Testament. And those of you who don't are very lost right now. And whoever purchased the salt lick got to keep the salt lick, but they also got a reserved parking spot in the church parking lot. We know how valuable that is. Say amen, somebody. And then there's some traditions in my church's worship service that were always so meaningful to me. I think about the way that we sang the doxology, for instance, because every Methodist church sings the doxology just a little bit different, and your church sings it right, right? And uh, I think about the, the pastor at my church growing up, Pastor Mary, who would start the pastoral prayer with this like 30 seconds to a minute long silence, which is a lifetime for a child. But it taught me how to be still and how to listen for God. Traditions can be so meaningful. Traditions can also be a hindrance at times. Sometimes they can be unhelpful. Sometimes they can keep us from in experiencing joy or encountering God in a way that maybe they help others to, to do so. Sometimes they can keep us from the room altogether. Have you ever been in a room and known you're the only one out of the loop? Have you ever been denied a seat at the table because of tradition? Sometimes traditions can be helpful and meaningful. Sometimes they can be hurtful or a hindrance. So, on this Pentecost day, this day when we talk about the birth of the church, when we remember that moment of the Holy Spirit rushing in and filling God's people and starting this movement, let's talk about traditions in a roundabout way. Let's talk about the of the church, the church that was meant to be, so to speak. And to do so, let's talk about a person named Peter. We've talked about Peter. We've walked with Peter in the last couple of weeks. He was one of the apostles, if you don't know, and according to the Gospels, he was kind of Jesus' teacher's pet in a way. Um, and we're about to read this important scene in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is going to change Simon's name to Peter. And this renaming of sorts is an important moment for reasons that we may not grasp as we first look at it, sort of as I first looked at it this week. The more I spent time with this text, the more was revealed. And we're going to talk about Peter and his journey today. So with that in mind, Turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 3. It says this, now when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do they say the human one or the son of Adam is? 
And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. They're saying, people think maybe you're a reincarnation of one of these great prophets. And he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Jesus, or then Simon said to him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Gold star for Simon Peter. Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. And then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So, Peter, I've got Peter's glamour shot if you want to see him on the screen. Um, Peter's name change. We, we always talk about Simon being named Peter, but that's not precisely what happens in this story. Um, you might know that in the, in the Greek language, his name is Cephas, which quite literally means rock. But here's the thing. Nobody was named Cephas in this day. So when we say that Simon's name was changed to Peter, it really wasn't. His name was changed to rock, right? That, that's how silly or, or weird or, or, or just noticeable this name would have been. Jesus is saying, I'm now naming you Rock. And from now on, you have to introduce yourself to people as, hi, I'm Rock. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Right? That's going to help his evangelism efforts, right? But think about what a rock evokes. You think about a rock. What, what is a rock? It's, it's, it's hard. It's firm. It's steadfast. It's, it's unchanging. If it's large enough, it's unmoving, Right? Now, if you were with Jesus in those days, if you were like the disciples, if you were like Jesus and came out of this Jewish tradition, hearing someone say, I'm going to build my church on this rock would have carried special significance. Because in those days, you would have, your mind would have immediately gone to the temple in Jerusalem, right? This great stone building built upon a mount, and inside, in the center of the city, inside of this stone, unmoving, unchanging building was thought to be God's Spirit alive within building my church on this rock. But here's the thing about rocks and people is they are nothing alike, right? People and rocks could not be more different. People are not hard. We're soft. People change. People move. People are always on the move. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock, Maybe he's playing with those words a little bit and suggesting that instead of building this stone building in a place, instead he's sparking a movement and building that upon people. Jesus is building a movement on people because the presence in Jesus was built upon God's love for people. The Gospels don't tell us that Christ came down because God was so enamored with institutional religion, my friends. Jesus didn't come down because he so loved the building. Jesus came down because God so loved who? Us? Them? There is no us, them, the children, all of us. That is why God's love came down. So when Jesus says, I'm building my church, 
really saying I'm building my movement upon people because that is precisely why I came. And then he says this interesting phrase at the end. Did you hear he said to, to Peter, to rock? Anything you bind up in heaven you'll, or in, on earth, you'll bind up in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth, you'll loosen in heaven. And, and that's one of those phrases that we kind of breeze by in the scene. But it becomes really important later on, actually beyond the gospel of Matthew, in the book of Acts. That same book where we read about the Pentecost story. We're not going to read that story today. Instead, we're going to look, uh, I'm going to summarize for you the story from Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The book of Acts tells the story of the church's birth and life in that early ancient time. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter shows up. It's the second to last time we see him in the narratives of the New Testament. And we see Peter and this other man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Roman or a Gentile, a fancy churchy word meaning non-Jew. And Cornelius, it says, was a God-fearing man. So somehow Cornelius wanted to engage with God. He was a spiritual man, but he was not a part of the Jewish tradition. He was not a part of the Jewish family of faith. And the Holy Spirit shows up to Cornelius, right? The Holy Spirit's at work and alive and and says, Cornelius, somebody is going to visit you, and they're going to bring you good news. And then the Holy Spirit goes and visits Peter, visits Rock. And Rock is praying and and, and it's almost like this fever dream as this, um, this vision of this picnic blanket comes lower down from heaven full of all kinds of animals that as a good devout Jew, rock was not supposed to eat, right? Good food like smoked pork shoulder, stuff like that. <laughs> and he looks at it and he says, God, I know I'm not supposed to eat this. I know this is unclean. And then he says this, he hears this voice, this clear voice from God saying, what I have said is clean, let nobody say is unclean. And then we all ask ourselves, can you smell what the rock is cooking? I set all that up just for that joke. That was that's all I did that for. No, 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 no. So he realizes there's more to this than just food, right? If you're getting stuck on the food thing, Peter got stuck there as well. Rock gets stuck on the food and he's thinking, okay, is this about we can eat more food now? And then over and the Holy Spirit reveals to him, no, 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 this is about people. For so long, our tradition has been that there are clean and unclean people. And if you're unclean, you're not allowed into the family. You're not allowed into the room. You're not allowed a seat at the table. And it's time for that to change. So the Holy Spirit brings Peter up to Cornelius. And through this interaction, Peter Rock is able to preach the gospel and, and bring Cornelius and, and his friends and his family into this family of faith, and the family gets larger. It gets better. It also gets trickier, because as these Gentiles, Jewish people, begin to be included in the life of the church, one thing that Peter, that Rock, and others like him, and Barnabas, other church leaders at that time, one thing they didn't require is for these people to join in the traditions of the Jewish faith, namely circumcision and dietary restrictions, right? You can imagine how that might be a hindrance for someone wanting to join the faith. Cornelius says, sign me up. All right, your circumcision will be next Tuesday. What? <laughs> I'm going to go see what the cult of Apollo is up to right now, actually. And so it becomes this, this great debate in, in the Jewish community, so much so that the folks back home, the folks in Jerusalem, the big, right, the real important men in the room, men in the room, um, they begin to fight amongst each other about whether or not Gentiles should, A, be included at all, and B, if they should have to abide by the Jewish traditions that had been so meaningful 
covenantal even for their people for millennia. So in Acts chapter 15, we see this thing called the Council of Jerusalem. And none of us were at the Council of Jerusalem, but we've all been at the Council of Jerusalem before. Council of Jerusalem is the PTA meeting, the trustee meeting in the third hour of the trustee meeting, right? Council of Jerusalem looks like General Conference in the United Methodist Church, say amen, right? We've all been or seen the Council of Jerusalem before, whether or not we were there 2,000 years ago. And it's in this meeting, in this Council of Jerusalem, that Peter's going to open his mouth for the very last time in the narratives of the New Testament. The rock upon which the church is built is going to speak one last time in our narratives of the New Testament. Do you think we should listen to what rock has to say? Let's see what Rock has to say. Good answer, good answer. If y'all couldn't hear on the live stream this morning, I just got a yes, thank you, vote of confidence. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 6, says this. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter, matter being should Gentiles abide by the Jewish traditions. After much debate, right, three words that You know a lot happened there. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them, fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, he says, who knows people's deepest desires and thoughts, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. God made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? Maybe traditions haven't been so good. On the contrary, Rock says, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. When it says, after night, and then Peter opens his mouth, those three words, you know a lot happened there. You know Peter had to sit and listen to a lot right there, right? Have you been at the Council of Jerusalem? Do you know what much debate sounds like? The same kind of arguments that Rock was hearing back then are the same kind of arguments we hear against receiving Gentiles into the family of faith without abiding by traditions that have mattered to many of us for such a long time. You might have heard these attacks yourself. You don't love Jesus enough, Rock. You don't believe in Scripture enough, Rock. You don't respect the tradition of our faith, Rock. You are leading people away from Jesus, Rock. Now, I'm going to read into the text for a second, but I imagine that Rock had something to say about that. Can you place yourself in that room? And imagine this man who had walked with Jesus for three long years. I don't know what it means to walk with Jesus. I don't know what it means to lead people to Christ. I walked with Jesus. I held his hand. I ate dinner with Jesus while he was sitting with lepers and with sinners and all the people that you don't want to let into this nice stone building. I walked with Jesus. I saw him climb up onto that cross. I saw him laid in the tomb, and I saw him walk back out. Don't tell me what it means to walk with Jesus, because I know what it means to walk with 
Jesus, I'm seeing people walk with Jesus, and they are not here. And if you want people to walk with Jesus, maybe what we need to do is get out of the way, because they already are. Do you hear that in the text? Am I, am I seeing, I might be the only one seeing that in here, but I feel like that's in here. How dare they question if Peter knows what it's like to walk with Jesus? knew to keep the main thing the main thing. This was about walking with Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that everybody, everybody, everybody had a chance. Peter doesn't stop being Jewish or following Jesus just because he loves Gentiles. He rethinks what Judaism and Jesus mean to him in light of a larger family. Do you hear me, church? Peter doesn't stop being Jewish or following Jesus just because he loves Gentiles. He rethinks what Judaism and Jesus mean to him in light of a larger family. When we go out and when we encounter Cornelius's and the friends and family of Cornelius, and they say, I love your Jesus traditions, this, this life that you want me to step into, the things that have worked really well for you, none of that gets me closer to God. Will we believe them? Will we trust the Holy Spirit has already been at work? My friends, I think the same thing that was true back then is the same thing that's true today. Wherever the institution of the church becomes harmful to the body of Christ, it is time to reform and renew the church. We're in something of a Council of Jerusalem moment right now in Christendom, in America. Do you sense it? Do you feel it? There's a lot of Gentiles, more and more and more every single day, and we can get a nice little stone building and make it really nice and small, and we can make our table smaller and smaller until it's seating for one, and it's a TV tray, and that's the kind of church that we're going to be left with. Is that the kind of church that we think the Holy Spirit was birthing in Pentecost? So literally, just last night, I had a conversation that is exactly in line with what we're talking about today. I was in Gun Barrel City, which is the most Texas-sounding name of a town in the world. Gun Barrel City. You know, you almost got to say it like that, right? And I was at a wedding. It was this, this wedding venue and reception place that was run by two Jewish lesbians. The Holy Spirit leads you to miraculous places, my friends. In Gun Barrel City. I was like, this is wild. This is so cool. It was the greatest spot. Sue and Amy were the hosts, and they were, they're friends now, because I hate um, small talk. Anybody else online or in the room hate meaningless small talk? Let us know. Um, there is nothing worse than being the pastor who knows nobody at the wedding reception, because I'll let you in on a secret, no one knows how to talk to us. Once they know you're the pastor, and they know because you just officiated the wedding, um, then they just clam up and they get weird real fast. So, Reagan and I, who were officiating this wedding last night together, uh, we ended up eating dinner inside Annie and Sue's house, because it was just the four of us, and we didn't really want to go do that, right? And their friend, Lil, was also there, and Lil's from Baltimore. And Lil and I got to talking, and um, she didn't get weird around me as a pastor. In fact, she said, you know, um, I haven't been a part of a church in a long time, um, but I'm really spiritual. Um, and she goes, I know a lot of people in my life that are really spiritual too. And, and here's what she said. I, I, this is almost to a word what she said, and it floored me. She said, I might be full of it. You see if you think Lil is full of it. But I just think that people are looking for churches to engage them in a different way. I know lots of people who are very spiritual. They want to love their neighbor, and they want to engage with God. They just don't see how they can do that in church. Right? 
Do you hear the Holy Spirit? Do you hear the Holy Spirit, this Pentecost church? Yeah, someone does. <laughs> someone little does. If we don't hear it, our little ones will. I don't think that Lil is full of it. I think she's spot on. I think she is spot on. And I think that she sees what Peter saw when this whole movement called church began. The Holy Spirit is alive and active far beyond the walls or the limitations of what we define as the community of faith. It was true for Peter then and it continues to be true for us today. It is our job, oh, if you hear nothing else right now, it is our job as the movement called the church to catch up to the movement of the Holy Spirit. That is our job. Holy Spirit does not live just inside these, I can't say four walls anymore, eight walls, because our sanctuary is special, right? Holy Spirit doesn't just live within these eight walls. I've seen the Holy Spirit alive and active outside these walls, and you have too for these last 14 months at UMC. I want to acknowledge that long before, I get, long before I got here, the Holy Spirit had led this church to be the kind of church that tries to catch up to the good work out in the world. And now I've gotten to have a front row seat to it for the last 11 months as your pastor. And in the last 14 months, did you know that we've had more than 50 households engage with us in ministry? Let us know that they are tuning in. They might be watching right now. Hello. I'm glad you're here. Saying we want to know more about the life of this church. We want to get involved. How can we serve? How can we be involved? Can we be in a class? Can we meet you on Zoom? I was in a coffee and connection last week with six people. And to a T, every one of them said this, I didn't know I could find a church like AUMC. I worried I never would, but I'm so glad that I did. Because it's different here. It's different here. We are a better church every time that we make space for a misfit. That was the phrase that I heard. We're a place where misfits can fit in. If that's been true for you, somebody say amen. Type amen into the chat. We're a better church every time we make space for a misfit, not just to fit in, but to lead us to somewhere new and somewhere faith-filled and somewhere that the Holy Spirit has already been alive and at work long before we showed up. My friends, some rocks are like anchors. They keep us where we are. They keep us tethered to where we are. They keep us from going any further. And then some rocks are like the start of an avalanche or a slide. They serve as the beginning, the, the catalyst for something bigger, something wilder, something out of control, but something that changes the landscape forever. Peter was an anchor. Peter started an avalanche. This is wild. This is out of control. This is something that will change the world forever. And Jesus calls this church. Be a rock. Amen.